On this edition of Discologist, Eduardo and Kevin are talking with singer-songwriter Jason Hawke Harris about his new album, Thin Places. Thin Places is a heartfelt journey through love, loss, and joy amidst adversity. And by adversity, we mean losing your mother, your record label, and having 150 shows canceled due to a pandemic. That seems like a lot. Get ready for a candid conversation on artistry, sustainability, navigating grief, and more. Your journey begins now. Ready? Yeah. Uh, welcome back. We are, uh, I am Kevin, Eduardo, and the other mic here. And here I am. Halfway across the country, even, because of technology. Uh, this is another entry into our In Conversation series, and I, I don't know, what, what do you think ultimately we'll, we'll do with this? Because these are, these are fun, right? They really are. They really are. And so if, if for, you know, for folks who maybe haven't caught on to the system here, we're sort of alternating reviews with interviews as much as possible, right? Mm. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, I mean, I think that's a little bit in keeping with, with what we were hoping to do when we brought the show back, right? Like there's some part yeah. of it that's just like, we were questioning like, I don't know, do, do, does the world need two guys talking into microphones about music? And, you know, it's easy to say no to that, but like when we can bring you the perspectives of the artists themselves and we yeah. get to, you know, give them space to talk, I think that's really, I think it's really important. Look, I mean, the Alabaster de Plume interview, yeah. you know, like there, there aren't a lot of Gus Fairbairn interviews out there. No, there's and not. And he was incredibly generous with his time and he had so much to say. And, you know, that's, I think that's something, I think that's a good thing we did contributing yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I do personally. I mean, just for yeah. our own, like if, if. If nobody listens, then the, what, uh, only 100 people listen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. spread the word on that. But uh, if, if nobody listens except for that, like, we, we got to have that conversation. Yes. And, uh, you know, we have said, and, and not in sort of a, a dick kind of way, where we said, this, we're doing this for us. Yeah. So, yeah. so at the end of the day, uh, personal edification uh, succeeds. Uh, that was, I think, the reason I, I, I booked Jason Hawk Harris on this was because I had been paying attention to his music before a little bit. I didn't know about the show ponies, which we talked a little bit about his previous band. Uh, but I, I really at some point fell in love with his previous album. And then when thin places was announced, the album is out now that we're going to talk with him about in a few minutes. Uh, I was excited. I was like, damn, like this is, I bet this is going to be good. And, uh, man, did it deliver. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know. you, you put me onto this early. I was, I was, I was not as, um, as familiar with him. I think I'd given that, 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 uh, first solo record of his a couple of spins, but, um, uh, you know, just never really, just never really sort of dialed in, um, until, uh, we got the Thin Places advance and you sort of, yeah. you sort of flagged that for me. And at first listen, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is a really good record. A anybody I played it for was just like, who, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. Just, I, I don't think he's going to have a problem with going forward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, this should. Um, but this is, a, this is a conversation uh, about that record. It's a conversation about grief. Uh, one of my, he says a thing that I think more artists should say, how he enjoys listening to his record. Uh, that that yeah, really. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's just like, but you'll, you'll hear all about it. Um, uh, so if you haven't listened to Thin Places or don't know his material, more so than usual, I think. Go and, and catch up on that. 
at the very least play thin places so you're going to know where we're coming from. Uh, if you like Americana country, uh, specifically like Jason Isbell, uh, is a, is a hero of his. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's working in that same lane. Uh, you, you're going to like that. So go listen to that and then come back and catch up like right here. And then, uh, and then you'll be in for a treat because this was, this, yeah. this is a great conversation. So, uh, here is our conversation with Jason Hawk Harris about his new album, Thin Places, Grief, and everything else. They'll bring out the lilies while I hide in the back. They'll be in bright colors and I'll dress in black. They'll ask at the question, where is your seat? People with muscular stress. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think first we should start out with congratulations. Your album is out tomorrow. It is. This is, uh, it has been, uh, if anybody following your career and specifically this phase of it, it's been a pretty long road to this, pretty rocky road to this, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but, uh, how are you feeling about it? I feel great. I just, um, I'm just glad it's done. It seems like got everything thrown my direction while I was trying to record it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not least of which was the first pandemic in a hundred years. <laughs> uh, but my drummer got appendicitis. There was a tornado oh and he God. had to have emergency surgery. Um, and it was like the last day of recording where we really needed to get some stuff done. So we ended up having to come back and we said, Oh, that's what, what actually happened was, um, he got appendicitis, he got surgery, and then I said, okay, well, we'll just have to reschedule. I'll come back to Nashville in a, in a week. And then the next day, I think it's when South by Southwest got canceled. And like, <laughs> that was like, that was the first act to really drop where it was yep. just like, oh, oh no, this is, <laughs> this is really happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, on the, yeah. On like, I think, I don't know if that, the time frame is right. Like on March 13th, I was supposed to be in a show in, uh, in DC. Uh -huh. uh, that I was helping to put on. Um, and I'm in Wisconsin now and Eduardo's in DC and literally like they started like canceling flights and be like, no, nope, you, you can't leave. And it was like, Oh, fuck. yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do here? What a wild time. It was, it was, yeah. but you know, we made it out of it. You made it out of it. Uh, uh -huh. it was, uh -huh. it was a, it was a rocky road. Um, the name of your album is thin places. Uh, I want to start by asking, were you ever tempted to just call the album Grief is a Motherfucker? <laughs> um, not that in particular, but I've definitely had that thought yeah. many, many times over the last, uh, see, my mom died six years ago now. So uh, since 2017, I've had that exact thought many times. Yeah. How long, how long has this been in the works since then? Um... Let's see. I wrote Jordan and the Nile like before most of the songs on Love in the Dark. Okay. So, um, yeah, a long time. I mean, I have like, you know, my writing style is sort of, I don't necessarily like write nine songs and then put those on. 
and then write nine more and then put the next nine on. It's not as linear for me. I tend to kind of jump all over moods and places and and stuff. So um so yeah, I mean I, I've been working on some some of those songs I had lines for like eight years ago. And a lot of times that's how a song will start for me, where I just like I'll write down one line and then I'll be like, that's pretty good. I'll come back to that at some point. And then like five years later, I'll pick up an old notebook and just thumb through some of my lines and I'll just be like, oh, that one's kind of cool. And that's what Jordan and the Nile was. Um, yeah, the one day that Jordan's going to start swallow the Nile was the line I thought of in like a fit of writing. I was just like kind of not picking up my pencil and just like writing everything. And then I was like circled that and then put it away and didn't look at it again for another few years and then uh when i looked at it again it just sparked my imagination it was after my mom had died at that point so yeah and did you did you know i mean in terms of like how you structured like i mean you can't have known when you wrote that 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 was going to like bookend a release no like, yeah no but um i did um i did storyboard this record uh mm-hmm. which is i think um so it's just the way that i learned to write um i went to school for classical music and composition and you know we just learn form and analysis and kind of write music that way uh when you're writing for you know large ensembles or for larger scale concert pieces that are instrumental and um i just was so used to just writing in that way and i think i was trying not to write in that way for love in the dark but i realized when i was writing um thin places that i'm just more comfortable writing like that so i actually wrote down let's see i wrote down potential titles for every song and what i want them what i wanted the mood and the structure and the kind of where I wanted the high points to be. And I kind of made a little scribbling diagram on paper, just kind of showing the arc of the record. And then from there, I just start kind of putting notes in different parts of that, whatever diagram and, you know, just kind of flushing it out. And then I think, okay, so I need this kind of song to go here, this kind of song to go here, this kind of song to go here, this to go here. And then I just start from the middle and then I write just out in either direction. Right. Right. It, you know, this, uh, I think all your music has a, uh, cinematic quality to it and that, that would explain it. Um, you're marrying like classic Americana sounds with this like classical composition, which, you know, we, we hear the stuff in the background stuff is it's a movie score. Um, and I think what's remarkable about Thin Places, though, is that it, it, well, there's a lot of remarkable things about this album, but one of them is, you know, you talk about how this is supposed to be a, a solid listen. You sit down and it's a journey you take through the whole record. And yeah, that's a line you hear a lot in publicity. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people say that, but yeah. this really is a journey through not necessarily even just your grief, but how uh how we all kind of process grief and and i don't know do, did you know when you were writing all this stuff that it was going to be that generalized because there's su- there's such specific stuff in here that i think also shows up in the previous album you know there's a lot of there's a lot of you spend a lot of time in the dark in your songs and 
But unlike the previous album, this one has a lot of illumination to it, which in the end, that that is what the journey is, that like you have all this, but there's always light somewhere. Yeah, I think that um, I've always found that sometimes by being uber specific, I end up writing something that's extremely relatable. I don't know really how that works mechanically, but, um, you know, sometimes people will just be like, oh, I felt that man. And I'm just like, oh, you did? Interesting. <laughs> you know, cause like, you know, I have some lines, like, I mean, the abyss is a song that comes to mind where like I have very, very personal notes in that song. Um, but you know, the people I've showed it to have already talked about how much they feel like they could relate to that song and i think it's i think it's in one sense like being kind of a somewhat of a curator um and i think at the same time it's me having some catharsis uh, you mentioned the abyss self-destruction is a is a part of grief uh-huh. Uh-huh. and i don't know that a lot of people talk about that i don't even know people realize that yeah but you'll find yourself at the bottom of a bottle <laughs> Yeah. A lot of times. And I think if you if you haven't actually like gone to a casino just to pick a fight. <laughs> right. like, I love I love that you've line. You certainly thought about it before. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's something like it. You've thought somebody's yeah. like, you know, ran into you or almost ran into you on the road and you, and you've had a moment where you'd be like, I should just get out of the car and just like fucking bash this dude's window in. I mean, everybody's had yeah. those like kind of those crazy irrational thoughts when they're grieving. So I think that's what makes it maybe relatable is just that grief is just a wild upside down world. Because, because at the end of the day, it doesn't like, especially, especially if it's the first time you're really encountering it. I I don't think it makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're going through your life and you're like, this is, this is what this is. And all of a sudden something, it could, it could even be a pet is like, just is not there. Yeah. And and even though as adults we can kind of process that, it still doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, what do I do? I don't know. I guess I'll drink this bottle of Jack. Yeah. May, may, exactly. Maybe, maybe that'll fix it. And it never does. Well, it does temporarily. It can. Um, but you know, on that journey, what we're you know, we're just talking about, the you know, going in to pick a fight with somebody at casino is is one of the funnier lines on the record. Yeah. <laughs> But as soon as you hear it, like, that makes absolute sense. There's a long history of people using comedy to sort of offset pain and darkness. Uh, And you definitely, like, employ that. Do you have any insight into, like, why you think that necessarily works? It's a great question. Um, I think that for me, I get really... I'm always trying to write something that I'm going to like. And I get really frustrated with over-serious writers. Um, Because I think drama is... Sadness and drama are easy to write. It's, It's easy to connect with that existential dread in a reader. Because it's just so pervasive. Um, I think that comedy is fucking hard. It's <laughs> yeah. really hard. 
And I think that um, a lot of people, a lot of writers sort of avoid it. Um, and, but, the, but I think some of my favorite writers are people that like insert comedy into otherwise tonally very sad music. Phoebe Bridgers has a song on her record, Punisher. I think it's the second song where she says something about when your skinhead neighbor goes missing and like the first few lines. And that's fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's, and it's in this like really delicate, delicately arranged piece of music. And I just think it's, it's really, it's just really great. So um, I don't, I think I do. I think I am blessed with a little bit of an instinct for it inserting comedy where maybe you wouldn't expect it to come. And, uh, but, um, at the same time, like I, I, I have the, the lines, the funny lines in my songs are the ones that I agonize over the most is like, is that really funny? Cause I didn't want to write something that I meant to be funny and it's not really funny. Is that that sucks? Oh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the, jo- the joke just doesn't land, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, man. yeah, yeah. But I sang that that line in particular. I sang for my dad, and he just cracked up, and I just knew uh, it's so dramatic. And like, just calling someone, you don't hear people. You hear people calling people motherfuckers or like fuck you, man. But you rarely hear someone say, hey. Hey, fucker. (laughs) 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 So I just think, yeah. And I'm not someone who usually puts like quote unquote swear words into songs, but, um, it just fits so well. Well placed. uh, Yeah. 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 It's my favorite F word in any song I've written for sure. I mean, it's a really, uh, the whole record, like what you've described in terms of your approach to it is like such a, you know, you're storyboarding it. And and yet this is kind of a record about someone careening out of control, right? And sort of going like wildly off the tracks. But it's such a, like the voice and the perspective you bring to it are so clear-eyed. And like it's, you're so like self-aware of how out of control you are that you can sort of like pull it back with that humor. I mean, I think... um bring out the lilies too is just like it's like a charming song like the 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 images in it are so um you know i think if someone had set out to write an album about all moms dying they wouldn't have been able to like dial into the specificity i think that's maybe that that's what i thought about a little bit when you were talking a a minute ago about how sometimes the particular like leads us to the universal right um but i i'm i'm i guess i'm i'm uh, I'm wondering if you had like anywhere in your mind, if you had a sense of like a comp or something like a reference point for this record that you were sort of thinking like, you know, if I'm successful, uh, it'll feel like I've accomplished something, you know, like, like another record. Like, did you have something else in mind that you were trying to like chase? Mm, no, I, yeah, just no. I, I, uh, I think that, um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to word this cause this can sound so bad, but I'm typically, I, so when COVID hit, I went and I, um, I learned a, another skill. I learned how to write code and I've been working as an engineer now for the last two years, um, fully remote so I can still tour and stuff. Uh, but 
big reason why I did that is not just because I lost like 150 tour dates when COVID hit, uh, which that was a big reason why. But another big reason was just like, I didn't want the streaming age to dictate the music that I wrote. And I wanted to be able to make the money I need to make to live and support my family um, without having to, you know, without it having to dictate, without the money I'm making having to dictate what I'm writing. So for me, it's about like just total freedom and just being able to um, just write what I want and put a cha-cha-cha at the end of a song. Or, you know, put a Cajun accordion where no one would expect it. And um, I did, there's not a lot of records that I can personally think of where I'm like, that's a perfect record. Um, in fact, and maybe this is terrible and I'll get shipped for this, but I can't think of a perfect record. I don't know of one. <laughs> and so I always have something to say about something. I mean, the like some of the closest records I can think of are like, um, like Heart Food by Judy Sill, or um, If I've Only One Time Asking by Daniel Romano. Uh, those are like the close, those are some of the closest I can get to like a perfect record. But I mean, even then, it's just like, I don't know. I don't really, yeah. So I didn't really have a, um, um, a mark in mind or like a, um, a measure of like what would success mean um i feel like i've already set out to achieve what i wanted to achieve which is to make something that i personally love like i love listening to this record and i got the points that i wanted to get you know across um in a way that was true to myself and i feel like in that way i can humbly offer it to other people and say like you know I don't know how you're going to respond to this or react to this. Um, and it's okay if you don't respond or react to it. But at the end of the day, I'm happy with what I've made here. And, um, you know, I think that's been my only measure of success for this record. Uh, yeah. So actually, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, and, and the coding thing, but, uh, first the, the idea of what you just said of this is a record that I, that I love listening to. You, I, I don't really hear artists say that a lot about their own work. And, I, and I'm not sure why, because at the end of the day, like when you're making something like it feels good. Right. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and even, even if like there's parts of it that are like have pain points and like, Oh, these strings aren't working out or this guitar sucks, you know, but it feels good. And, and when, you hear somebody say that, oh, I like listening to my record. I don't, I don't think that's egotistical. I think that's just, that's the best endorsement. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I did the thing and this is great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, for the coding thing and, and that idea that you didn't want this like revenue stream to be like gross about it, to, to dictate like how you were doing stuff. How much did, I haven't watched the documentary on this yet, but how much did the uh, dissolution of the band, the show ponies that you were in feed into that and like inform that like realization? Because I think right now, especially in 2023 with, obviously we have streaming, um, Bandcamp is in big trouble today. Um, 
it's important that people understand, I guess, the economics of, of what they're doing when they try to make art. Yeah, I think, um, I think the show ponies were a band that did better than I'd say 95% of bands, you know, we had like a multiple hits on Spotify that, you know, continue to pass. Um, and, um, I think one of our songs has like 20 million plays on it or something like that. And we toured all over the place and had sellout crowds and stuff. And by any measure, most people looking at us would think like, oh, they're making money doing this. But, you know, at the end of those tours, I mean, once all expenses and cuts have been given out and everything, we were still walking away with like, you know, from like a three week tour, we were still walking away with like 600 bucks each, which is just not you know, just not sustainable. Um, and then when we got home, you know, there was no way to be like, Hey, can you hire me? But just for a little bit, cause I got to get back (laughs) out on the road. So we'd have to find these odd jobs at odd times in the night or, you know, and, um, so I think that that definitely had an effect on me. And the last time that I was trying to make money solely as a musician, was when Love in the Dark came out. Love in the Dark came out, and then I went on a tour for like seven weeks. And that's where it fucking broke me. I mean, I, it was so rough. Um, just cars breaking down and all these extra expenses I didn't um I didn't anticipate and having to rent like a having to rent a vehicle because mine broke down. And um, you know, just it was uh it was really rough and I sort of uh, just had a moment where I was like, I'm not sure that it's good for me or my wife, um, or the other people I'm playing with for me to be this stressed out all the time. And the thing is, when I was a kid, I wanted to do two things. There were two things that I wanted to do. And sometimes I think I'm the luckiest person in the world because I'm doing both of them. I wanted to be a musician and I wanted to be a hacker. Those were like the two things that I really (laughs) wanted to do. And so now I'm doing... I now I'm doing both Hell of them yes. and like I actually like my job. I think it's great. And it also yeah. keeps me it keeps me grounded in a way that like I think sometimes when you get too deep into the world of like just celebrity or um like uh you know you're 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 an entertainer as your job as you're living. I feel like it kind of almost makes this sort of like la la land that sort of unintentionally ends up dissuading you from or or changing you from what people loved about you to begin with. So like, even if, even if I happen to like, you know, this record happens to take off and I certainly didn't write it with the expectation that it would, I know it's a, it's not a, it's not an easy listen. Um, and, but, um, you know, if it did, even if it did, I don't think I'd stop writing code because I just enjoy it. I really like doing it. And, and I really like just being with people who have normal jobs and talking to them and, you know, spending time with them and just, you know, having a routine. And, um, I'm not built for the road necessarily. Uh, I'm built for, to play shows. I love playing shows. But everything in between is, I do not like it. I'm not a fan. <laughs> so, and I, and I, 
I know I, other people who are like road dogs who just love that yeah. life, but I'm not I'm not that guy. I, I know enough musicians to know that at least when you get past a certain age, I don't think a lot of people enjoy it that much, especially not anymore, especially not after COVID, you know, where it's like you're doing this work and it's just like, well, fuck, I have three days off, no money. What yeah. do I do? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, is this is this ultimately worth it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you had the support of Bloodshot and then you didn't. Yeah. Um, was that one of the, I mean, obviously at the, that point in time when that fell apart, it, it wasn't funny, but like at any point, what did you look back and be like, man, this is kind of hilarious how all this stuff, you know, piled on because the list was, what is it? Your mother died. Your father went bankrupt. You COVID, you bloodshot went under all this stuff that is like so unbelievable. Like, wait, this is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're back on Bloodshot now for people who don't know. Bloodshot am, is back. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just always thought it was going to work out. Um, I, um, as long as I can make the music, I'm happy. And I put something on Twitter just randomly saying, like, my funding's dried up. Um, right. I need like seven grand to finish this record. If you guys want to help me out, here's my Venmo. And I, it was like four hours and I had seven grand in my bank account. So I was just like, okay, well, I'll go finish this then. Now I have to And, uh, yeah. And then Dave, my manager just started to get a really good feeling about the people that were going to buy bloodshot acceleration music. And he wanted to, and then by the way, what Rob Miller did for me at bloodshot was to get me out of my contract. So he wasn't selling my contract to Acceleration Music, which is a really cool thing to do. Um, but it also left me without a label and in um, development hell with a record that I couldn't finish. So, uh, but anyways, the fans gave me the money and then I was able to finish the record and give it to the new Bloodshot and got a much more friendly deal. Um and got paid the money I was owed. And, um, yeah, just it's, uh, yeah, it's all kind of, kind of worked out. Um, so yeah, it's complete. We, we just talked to, um, recently Alabaster de Plume. I don't know if you know who he is. And, uh, one thing he was talking about a promoter talking to him saying, I'm going to, I'm going to get the money to make this worth it for you. And and his response to her was like, the money isn't what makes it worth it. The money is what makes it possible. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I'm hearing you say is that that's what the label is good for. Um, again, like I know enough musicians to know that like labels are, uh, there's a, there's, they're complex. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I not, think what, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was, I was going to say, it's not just that you signed to it and all of a sudden that's it. You made it. Mm -hmm. Like there's, yeah. there's a lot more to it. Oh, for sure. And, and like, I think to what I do is so, um, I'll just use the word ambitious. Mm. I mean, I've got like a lot of strings in there. I need killer musicians and, um, yeah, I need some time in the studio. So it's not like I, I I'm not interested in making an, an acoustic record, like just me and my voice and a guitar. 
In fact, I can't stand doing that. I don't like doing it. I don't like yeah. performing with just a guitar in my voice. It's just not ever what I've really been interested in. I've always liked making a big fucking huge wall of sound. Yeah. As big as it can get. And um, so, yeah, you need money to do that. And yep. a label like Bloodshot makes that possible. So, yeah. Do you have any sense of uh, what, what the songs are going to, how they're going to come together live? Like, do you have a sense of what the performance yeah, we've already done like, a yeah. little bit of um, arranging. Jordan and the Nile has taken on quite a different uh, arrangement. It's pretty interesting. Um, but for the most part, all the other ones are pretty much played through. The only one that I haven't tried to play live yet, and I'm looking forward to playing it live, but I haven't tried it yet, is White Berets, for uh, mm. obvious reasons. It's a yeah. big fucking piece. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the most part, they, they've kind of, it's been all right. You know, the record sounds huge. Um, Andy Freeman's a great producer, but like we, there's no electric guitar on the record. There's like, there's one track that has baritone guitar on it. Huh. And we, I, and it was intentional. I did, I just didn't, I, I had been playing electric guitar my whole life. I just wanted to make a record without it. Yeah. So it's just steel, bass, piano, drums, and acoustic for the most part. And then there's strings on top of it. So it's not, it doesn't require a lot of personnel. It just requires the right personnel. Um, right. So doing it live hasn't been that tough yet. Um, I think that it could be, I could make it tough. But yeah, I'm yeah. not not quite ready to do that yet. <laughs> do, do you feel the uh, the the classical stuff? Do you feel the timber of a lot of those instruments actually takes up the space of the electric guitar? For because, sure. Yeah, because a lot of what uh, you know when we talk about classical music, like for me, like I grew up playing classical music, but I didn't like train in it. Um, is is that it is ultimately a bass. And and a lot comes off it. There's so many similarities, but we think of classical music as one thing and pop or jazz or country as another just because the form. Yeah. Um, but but like you certainly can have like strings that evoke a guitar. Yeah. And and I wonder if that happened because you telling me this now, I'm thinking back to it, I'm like, fuck, there is not electric guitar on this. Yeah. Like I can't I can't believe that. Uh, yeah. But I'll I'll listen to it again tonight and be like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah there is on so damn good, so damn good has a baritone electric baritone, yeah, yeah. But that's that's it. And I think that there's like one or two notes on the first and last songs that are electric guitar. But that that's it. And uh, the harmonium is another huge part of the record. Yeah. I play the harmonium quite a bit on it and that fills a lot of space and then the strings are basically functioning as like an electric guitar would um and yeah and then the harmonies too i kind of let leanne who did most of the harmonies i let her go nuts and do a lot of like just layering and stuff like yeah. that that filled in a lot of space too as far as classical music goes when you say you talk about you trained in classical music were you studying classical music, like the composition of the forms, or did you start off by just playing classical instruments, like a violin or something? Like how 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 did you come to that? Yeah, I was I was always a guitarist, but um, I got really into like Mozart 
and Beethoven when I was in like seventh grade. I just, right. I don't know what it, what it was about it. It just, I, I think I heard symphony number nine and, and just kind of blew my mind. And, um, yeah, so I never, I didn't, uh, ha I didn't grow up playing like classical piano or violin or any classical instrument. I still grew up playing like rock and country guitar, Okay, but, and, and, you know, rock and country piano. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, in college at the conservatory I went to, my emphasis, my instrument was voice. So I studied voice and did some opera. And then um and then I did classical composition. So I was mostly writing for instrumentalists, and that's what my juries at the end of every semester, if you're familiar with the music school thing, uh, I would we have juries at the end of every semester and my jury would be presenting a binder of my music and right, they'd right. go over it and look at it and maybe listen to it, maybe not listen to it and just go back and forth. And so I spend most of my time writing and the other bit of time I had, I spent just analyzing the greats and that was, that was pretty much the experience there. Yeah. Were, were you writing on an instrument when you were doing that or just straight, like writing on notes, like charts? Yeah, pencil and paper. Man, that's, just <clears throat> so with that in mind, like, is there a connection you see between that and coding? Um, given that the two are definitely like math related, uh, just one is a little more abstract, I think. Yeah, I think definitely. I think, um, what's nice about coding is that you can finish it. <laughs> right. right. Like, hopefully, you can, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> You can, you can write the code, you can get it to a place where the, the tasks that you set out to do is 100% done. Maybe there's a way to go back and do it more efficiently, yeah. but you don't have to. It's like, it's going to be the same result, whether it's more efficient or less efficient, you know, it might yeah. be faster or slower, but it's going to be the same result. Whereas like music. I mean, I just constantly, anytime I hear a song, I'm just like, ah, I should have done that with that. I should have done this. I should have done yeah. that. I'm just like, I'm constantly rewriting and recomposing. There's already a, one of the songs on the record that I live, I sing completely differently uh, <laughs> than how I recorded it. And it's just because like I got up there and I just started singing it. I was like, I like this better. I should have recorded it that way. Oh, well. That's interesting that. That you've already like done that. Eduardo and I have an uh, ongoing discussion sort of about like definitive editions of, of stuff. So we were talking about the Tim re-release and if there's a definitive edition. And I think, I think what you're saying, like for an artist, there definitely is not. No. Nah. Like y y you can, you can put it out, you can put it on 10 different versions of the record and it's like, nah, I don't like it. Yeah. I like it. Like, it's just like, whatever. But like, yeah. Like, for code, you know, if you build a calculator... <laughs> Uh-huh. It's, it's done. Once it calculates, it's done. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's all done. Yeah. Uh, um one thing I wish that there was in composing though is testing. <laughs> because we have testing in in yeah. software engineering yeah. where yeah. we can individually test like I would love to just like be able to individually test a part on a human audience <laughs> and see what happens before I put it permanently in, but I mean so much of music is about internalizing um, and a lot of software engineering is externalizing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, my partner's uncle was the, uh, marching band director at Virginia tech for years. His name was, oh, Jim, nice. his name was Jim Sochinsky. 
and he was into a lot of stuff like that like just really the 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 guts of what composition was and breaking it honestly breaking it down into math and stuff i'm trying to get a hold of his dissertation um but it, well, do you remember what was what it was on uh his he's done a he did a couple but one of them was on um note repetition and like notes on like the same note in different keys and like the effect that had on a listener and the effect so he was like kind of testing for like his arrangements because for a marching band clearly you just are going to make you're, you're arranging classics even though he did have some compositions of his own yeah i want to swing it back to the music a little bit and, and the the scope of this album uh is it's an emotional journey and uh it is about grief there's a lot of humor and stuff in it but there's one song on here that isn't yours, and I, I I say this not diminishing anything else that came before it, but when the, just the idea of putting "Keep Me in Your Heart" to do this popped into your head, were you just like, "Got him"? <laughs> like <Yeah>. this is <laughs> this is gonna kill people because I will tell you, and I told your publicist this. I was listening to this record, and I, and I generally I don't listen. I don't look at the track list the first time. I get something, and I just like listen to it experience it and i'm like okay this is great all right i really like this and they got to that and i'm like motherfucker like, how, <laughs> how can you do this to me this is awful <laughs> well the whole plan with that the entire time was to write a song like that it wasn't not necessarily <laughs> yeah. like keep me in your heart for for a while but a song that accomplished what that song accomplishes because i mean throughout the record i kind of get away from I mentioned my mother less and less, and then I start talking about me and my wife and like, you know, what it's going to be like when one of us doesn't have the other one. Right. And, um, and I think that, so I wanted to write a song about, you know, just kind of the, uh, transience of human relationship, I guess. Yeah. And, and just like what happens when we go and like i don't want you to just like wallow and just you know get on with it mm -hmm. and that's what i that's what i wanted to write about and then i was like someone has already done this really really well and <laughs> i should just cover this song and the thing is like no offense to warren zevon i'm not a fan of the original recording yeah just in general i'm just not i've, I've always loved the song but i would if i was producing it i would have done it very differently it's and, a pr prickly catalog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh so it was a song that I felt like I could that I could capture the spirit of the song while also um making it feel like a cohesive part of the record. Yeah. And um also familiarity is so welcomed at that point in a record, especially yeah. one as draining as this one mm -hmm. that like I just felt like it was just a perfect time to like put a cover in there, and I've been toying with put a, putting a cover on a record for a while, but um, but yeah, it was just it was just the perfect song, and um, yeah, I had a good idea for the arrangement, so we just went with it. Yeah, well, it's Expect so lawsuit, sir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's emotional distress, but you know, it, then it leads into White Berets, which is just like uh, uh, New Orleans like funeral thing. It's it's just fantastic. And and I think really what the point, and correct me if I'm wrong, it drives the point home of the record is that, yeah, this sucks. You're going to go through some shit, but you're at the end of the day, you're okay. 
And honestly, almost always, you're almost always okay. It's just life. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier. You just learn how to live with the pain. Yeah. I think that's why I ended it the way I did, too, with just the swelling of the strings on that dissonant chord. Yeah. Because, like, it's like a, you know, just a, a nice little jab that it's like, you're going to get through it, but also it's always going to hurt. Yeah. 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 That, yeah, that felt a little bit, I, I, I sort of chuckled because it felt a little bit like that was the answer to like, where is the sting? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's actually, <laughs> it's, it's just like, yeah. it's like the end Very of Sopranos, cool. it just fades to black. It's like, nope, uh-huh. <laughs> nope, the Reaper got you right now. Yeah. And like, and then, yeah. but then it feeds back into the record and that feeds into like the uh, themes of resurrection and themes of just, it just everything goes on and on and on because you can just stop there and then all of a sudden there's a brief pause, Jordan and the Nile starts up again. And you can yeah. and you can just keep listening to it and be like, oh, and really get to start thinking about your feelings. Not saying I've done that for like four hours in a row, but you know, yeah, <laughs> may, maybe maybe people will when they hear this. Um, yeah, I mean, the journey feels kind of like that classic thing about you know you know grief with like the balloon, right? That like you're at like uh, grief at first, you're sort you sort of have a small box and there's a balloon in it, and the balloon takes up most of the box, and so every time it hits the wall you're triggered, right? But that over time, like the box gets bigger. And so the balloon is still there, but it's got more room to travel around in. Like it still hurts just as much when it hits the edge of the box, right? Yeah. It's still like the That's nerve great, endings are still metaphor. there. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't the, heard that one in a while, but it's, it's a really good metaphor. Yeah. The so damn good and to keep me in your heart. That's, that's what it felt like to me. I'm like, oh, the, the, the template here, the answer or whatever, not that you're, not that you're selling answers, but like the way forward is like your life goes on and it gets bigger and like that mm. person stays a part of it. But yeah. Yeah. But you go on. If that's cool. Uh, if this record blows up, which it should, uh, uh, yeah, this is, uh, we're late in the year, I think. This is probably my favorite record of the year that I've heard. Wow, thank you. And uh, and for a lot of reasons, but really the emotional content of it. If it blows up, are you maybe going to commit yourself to grief core? It's <laughs> 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 like, how hard can I grieve? And then no. what, what can you sucker punch somebody with? <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to my wife about this. Just like, I cannot wait to stop writing about this. Yeah, uh, because it's it is exhausting, and um, and I think that it's not, it's very cathartic. Don't get me wrong; it's super cathartic, but it's also it's been I've been working on these songs for like six, seven years. Yeah, um, and it just um, I'm ready to like have a different subject for my next record. I think I I think I already have it actually, um, and it's not it's not going to be grief. Uh, and, and, you know, I think I, I never intended to make my first two records so centered around that subject. Right. But, you know, it just shit happened at the time that it happened. And that's the music that I wrote and that's what came out. So, um, it just kind of, yeah, I mean, that's just how it happened. But I do understand now that like I've inadvertently made grief part of my brand. So I'll have to work on, I'll have to work on breaking out of that because I certainly don't want to be the, as Mary Oliver says, the poet with his face in his hands. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea too of thin spaces, I, I don't know how much like uh, Stephen King you read, but he obviously is kind of taps into this a little bit. The whole uh, thing of his dark tower series is, is there are, uh, it, it's, 
This is there, so. This is so, Kevin, that you're bringing up the Dark Tower right now. I just, I just, <laughs> there, I just there, have there, to make there, that comment. In one book, it's, <laughs> it's literally called a thinny, but there, the, the spaces where the reality is thinning, and the point, weirdly, is that at the end of ten books, that people aren't ever really gone. Mm. You might not have access to them, but yeah. you you know, and and somehow that thinness uh, gives comfort. If yeah. that makes sense, that like mm-hmm. you, they're not really there. They explore. I don't know if you watch Reservation Dogs. I haven't um, watched it yet, but it's been on my oh, list man, for like I, two years. You should, yeah. uh, but I, I I won't spoil it. But it 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 plays a lot with that idea. Love um, that and, and community and like w- what we actually are mm-hmm. and, what we, and what we mean to other people. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it just. Uh, and, and maybe that's why that resonates with me, specifically the Stephen King thing. I mean, I, I made a whole like little like EP based on the Dark Tower shit. So like nice. I, was, I was in my bag with it. I was like, all right, let's do all yeah. this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 such a universal at the end of the day record that it like for me, I find it hard to. I've read some good reviews of it so far. It's just really hard to critique. It's just like, wow, this is human. This is not like there's no bullshit. There's no fluff on it. It's just like, hey, I go through this too. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. about as that's think the best thing anybody could say about it. Really, yeah, I think I yeah. think so. Um, so as far as tour plans go, uh, disregarding another pandemic, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, um, what what do you have on the horizon here? I'll start touring in January, okay. and um, I'll do a run on the west half of the united states and then another one on the eastern seaboard nice and um yeah and then uh i don't that i just i have the first half of the year plan and then after that i'll probably start working on another record well thanks so much uh this is a remarkable album uh i know you're proud of it you should be proud of it and i hope everybody hears this album and is like that's a motherfucking album that's that's the one love that thank you guys for the thoughtful listens and for having me i really appreciate it now every time I'm by a river bank I look to see if there's a golden wake Guess I'm looking for that healing tide Where one day the Jordan gonna swallow the Nile One day the Jordan gonna swallow the Nile So I didn't uh, expect really to be talking about coding when we're talking about music. Yeah, yeah, that was. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I obviously am happy uh, about that too, and uh, or the Dark Tower. But that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did expect you to bring up the Dark Tower. I think that's, I think that's a given uh, when you're on mic. But, uh, but I mean, what an interesting thing. You know, something you and I have talked about so much is just like. Right. That intersection of art and commerce and mm-hmm. what, you know, uh, what artists and, 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 you know, you and I are sort of uniformly in favor of things that, that make artists more money. Right. That's sort of a default position. Yeah. But it's also really interesting to talk to people and have these frank conversations about how artists are navigating the need for, you know, you want to have economic security. You want to be able to have a family. You want to be able to like, 
yeah. have a normal life and still be an artist. And it was really interesting. And I'm glad he was that Jason was was so open with it, right? But yeah. but hearing how someone has solved that problem, I think, is really fascinating. Like 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 Robert Ellis, another Texas singer songwriter, same talked about lessons, right? About about being about sort of doing private lessons and kind of figuring out how to. Um, how to stitch together a living at a time when, like, most systems are really not trying to help artists uh, make a living. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't claim that we have the answers to this at all. But when you have options like that, it, it, there was um, Brian Walsh, uh, who just did the, uh, he just did the, the essays on the two morphine re-releases. The liner notes, yeah, for those yeah, two. fantastic. And yeah. obviously his book and, and Hallelujah the Hills. But at any rate, uh, there was a thread on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now uh, about this very thing. And he was like, I think people would be surprised how many of your favorite artists have full-time jobs and the reasons they have yeah. it. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing and like why we should talk about that more because it is super healthy. Uh, you know, just speaking from myself, uh, I, I, I feel like, I, I understand the urge if you're an artist to be like, I can't do anything except art. It's just going to get in the way. But I think what you just heard from Jason is where I'm at with it too. Like he really enjoyed, for example, just talking to normal people, having no normal coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's the whole thing you can't write unless you live. You have to be part of the world to write about the world. Right. Yeah. Right. And and if you're just swimming in one little little pool, that's not you might get good results, but I, I think you'll find that your results are going to be better. And uh, and it's tough. It's real. tough. I'm, I'm in the middle of making an album right now and I've been sidetracked by work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least three times uh, for weeks at a time. Uh, and uh, but at the end of the day, I'm like. I can keep working towards it at my own pace when I, when I need it um, because I don't depend on that income. Um, and I mean, in my case, it'd be foolish to depend on the $60 I'll make on it. But <laughs> <laughs> Jason is going to make a lot more uh, than that. Uh, here, here. I know the vinyl is sold out already. So. Oh, damn. A plus. Wow. I need, I need to get that when it's repressed, but uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys like enjoyed that. And then, um, should we open up a request line to see who people want to hear us talk to? Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we I have think... our guesses and we, and, and, you know, and, and it's, and it's Kevin's hard work, like basically opening doors for us and getting us in front of the yeah, right whatever. people. Whatever, man. You're, you're, you're booking the next interview. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like yeah. who would you like to hear us talk to? Um, because like I said, we have our list. Um, I know the Lorraine album is on our radar. Yeah, the vinyl, my vinyl came early. Yeah. I got it about a week early. Yeah, I, I haven't heard it. Yeah. Yet, but I'm like, that might be intimidating, but sometimes intimidating is good. Yeah, it is intimidating as, yeah, it's very intimidating <laughs> to imagine talking to, yeah. Uh, yeah. to Lorraine. But, uh, but man, I'm going to be listening to that album a, a bunch this year. And I don't know, I haven't checked to see uh, which of her shows in October are sold out yet, but I'm just this, you know, my, my plea to you at, just as we said for, you know, for Jason, like if you have a chance to go see Jason Hawk Harris, you should do that. If you have a chance to go see Lorraine. Yeah. Cannot recommend it enough. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, to sum up, 
Latest in conversation episode, Jason Hawk Harris. Good. Yeah. Good. Everybody enjoyed so it. Fun. Here? Yeah. 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 Uh, we want to talk maybe to Lorraine, but I think we'll talk about that album maybe at some point. We've got to, we've got to figure that out. Yeah. And then if we'll set up a little form on the site. So if you have somebody you want us to talk to and get ridiculous, like we have, I know we have one ridiculous request out right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that is, uh, and, to be clear, that is the product of my hard work. Yeah, <laughs> that is hundred <laughs> percent. But uh, so, but it, you know, get as ridiculous as you want. Like, if you're like, you should talk to Bob Weir. I agree. <laughs> yes, yes. Bob Weir. Be the wind I behind our sails. <laughs> I don't know what we'd say, uh, but we'll be back uh, in our regularly scheduled time, and uh, which will be next Saturday. So, go out and get thin spaces. Listen, to Jason Hawk Harris, and we will talk to you soon. 